What do we mean when we talk about God as being gracious? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Brian DeBozik, Managing Editor of The Gospel Project, and with me is Aaron Armstrong, our brand manager. Aaron, we get to have a fun conversation today. We get to talk about God's grace. Sure do. It's it's like going to be like a, a, a word hug. Well, I don't know that we're supposed to be talking about hugging right now. I mean... Well, that's true. with social distancing. Yeah. Well, that's why it's a word hug. Well, there you go. Okay, I'll accept that. As we're recording this, we're still in that COVID-19 pandemic right now, and so we're still sequestered in our homes and, and, and locked down to a large degree. So that's, if you're listening to this well after the fact, after this is all over, thankfully, uh, that's what we're kind of referencing now about not hugging. Yes, yes. But although, you know, for you and me, that's just good. That's just a life lesson in general because... Yeah, that's it's a truism, yes. Yeah. That, that's the case. But I mean, this is... So some of these doctrines that we talk about can be challenging, either um, mentally because it's hard for us to understand, or, you know, some things that we're... You know, when we talk about sin, we don't enjoy talking about sin. Um, this one, though, when we talk about God's grace, this is a good... I mean, this is where we're like, okay... Finally, you get to hear some good stuff. But I think as we talk through this, it's there is a little bit of, of uh, tension here because while we love the idea of God's grace, I think sometimes we struggle to live under it. I think, yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. I mean, grace is really easy to explain to some degree. It's it's very hard to understand, but it's, of course, is hardest to uh, definitely hardest to live um, in light of because it rubs against us uh, the wrong way in every respect. It 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 feels so contrary to how we're wired, um, and we'll explain why. And hopefully, you'll see why as we. Yeah, and and it kind of it pushes back against our perceived autonomy. Um, you know, God's grace is something where we have to live understanding our neediness of him, um, his goodness and our lack of goodness. Um, and then as, as Americans, you know, as we, as we record this, I mean, you're Canadian close enough. Um, hey now. we, we, we are people who pride ourselves in controlling our own destinies and, and, you know, picking ourselves up, up by the proverbial bootstraps and so forth. And again, grace reminds us of our neediness. So, um, I think this is one where when it comes to practicing it, it can be challenging. But enough of that. Let's talk about the uh, the doctrine itself. As always, why don't you read it and get us started, and we'll dive more into some of these things. Yeah, sounds good. So when we talk about God being gracious, this is what we mean. God's nature is to delight in giving unmerited favor to those who are undeserving. His grace towards sinners is found most clearly in the salvation that he has provided through Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, humanity is undeserving of salvation. All of us have turned our backs on God, and as a result, we all deserve death. However, instead of leaving people in their sins, God has demonstrated his graciousness by providing atonement and forgiveness for our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, so go ahead and, and boil that down into a simpler sentence if you can. Sure. God's graciousness refers to 
his showing kindness to people who don't deserve it. So God's goodness to those who don't deserve it. I mean, that's really what it's at the heartbeat of this. And again, going back to what we were just talking a minute ago before you read it, I, I think we delight in God's goodness. It's our undeserving. That's where the, the tension starts to really push back against us. So again, in my estimation, a lot of people love the idea of grace, but struggle with living under it because we still want to do something. I, I you know, I want to, I want to position myself um, better and so forth. So God is good. We don't deserve it. And yet he gives it to us. That's grace. Where do we see this in scripture? Well, let's start with everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) We've been doing that a lot recently. We have been. That's because, I mean, that's the thing with the essential doctrines of the Christian faith is they are things that are not unique to one particular aspect of scripture. Um, And especially when we start talking about things that are connected to God's nature and character, we see those things consistently throughout scripture because God is consistent throughout scripture. So from beginning to end, God is gracious. So, and you know, normally we normally we talk about cautions and uh, regarding under understands of doctrines and things like this, but I think it's worth pointing this out right here and right now is that this is one of those doctrines that reminds us of the consistency of God throughout Scripture that He is not a certain kind of way that he doesn't behave differently in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, that he's wrathful and hot-tempered in the olden days and then new and gentle Jesus, um, you know, in the New Testament. It doesn't work that way. Instead, if you want to think about it this way, how you should look at the, the, the difference in the old versus the new is that um, both Grace and evident wrath are elevated in the New Testament versus the Old. We get the we get the shadow of both in the Old Testament, and we get the substance of both in the New. When I, and that's true. I know usually I think listeners probably right now when I said, hey, where do we see that in Scripture? Most of us probably immediately went to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, uh, the prototypical passage on God's grace for you are saved by grace through faith. That is not from yourselves. This is a God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. So we have that idea of grace and giftedness both there together. Um, Hebrews 4 is another passage, 416. It says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness. Um to receive mercy and, and grace. So I think most of us probably think of New Testament, especially Paul. Grace is a, is a word Paul used quite a bit. But we would be mistaken, as you're saying, Aaron, we'd be mistaken to think that grace is something that just came on the scene in the New Testament. I mean, think about Moses. I mean, Noah. Noah was, was he found favor. He found grace, which is why he was spared from judgment in the flood. So grace permeates the Old Testament as the New and wrath is in both. Think about the book of Revelation. There's a little bit of wrath in there, right? So, yeah, God is consistent, and uh, and that's important. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And I'm really glad that you mentioned Noah. Again, I think that we can even go back even a little bit further, though. I mean, if you think about just Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, that we have to remember that God said that the consequence of eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of disobeying God, would be that they would surely die. And yet, he didn't kill them on the spot. 
Yeah, I mean, you have you have that. You have the mark of Cain. Yeah. Um, soon after, I mean, Cain murders his brother and, uh, and then has the audacity to bellyache about his banishment. And what does God do? He gives grace. He says, well, I'm going to give you this mark to protect you. And so over and over, you see grace and mercy. We'll talk about this in a minute. From God, evident all throughout Scripture, um, reminding us of how important this is. So let's. We, we've already intimated this. What what other cautions might we have with understanding this doctrine, Aaron? Well, one of those things that we should be careful of is not thinking that God's grace is limited in any way. What we need to know is it truly is limitless. So we can't outsin God's grace. There, there isn't a finite amount that's stored up for each individual person. And we need to, we need to be thankful for that. We need to, to recognize that that's true because if that's true, that gives us hope. Um, we need to recognize the depths of our sin. We need to rec- we need to be aware of, appreciate in a certain in a certain respect our tendency towards sin and and those things that tempt us toward it. But even when we do sin and we recognize the the seriousness of our offense, and we uh, what we need to do is we not, need to not be hopeless mm, in it. Yeah. That there isn't there isn't going to be a point at which for the believer. That God says, well, you know what? You were saved, but that thing you did over there, that thing you looked at on the internet, that thing you purchased, you watched The Bachelor one too many times, I'm done. That's not going to happen. Exactly. And that's so important because, you know, as you're saying, Aaron, I, in my estimation, as, as I think in my time in ministry, discipling people, that comes up so, even in evangelism, this comes up so often. This is people feeling like I'm not worthy. Um, you know, I what I've done. There's no way God can can forgive. Or I'm always worried that I'm gonna, you know, finally out sin God. I'm finally gonna cross that line that somewhere, and that is simply not understanding God's grace. That's living in captivity and bondage to 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 the idea of sin instead of living in the freedom of Christ. And uh, and God doesn't want that for us, of course. So at the same time, I think we need to be careful that we don't abuse God's grace. It's the other end of the spectrum. Um, I think a lot of our conversations, we, we end up going here, Aaron, that we have to understand you can make a mistake. You can fall in two ditches in either side of the road, and both can be lethal. And just as we can undervalue God's grace, we can't appreciate how limitless it is and, and live like we just talked about. The other end is you abuse God's grace. This is the, the camp, well, you know, if I'm forgiven, if God's grace is limitless, why does it matter? Then why not go out and sin? He's going to forgive me of it, right? And this is what Paul addressed in Romans. I love what Paul does there as, as he's building his case um, just unpacking the gospel, he, every so often he just asks this question. You know, he speaks back to himself. He anticipates the skeptic, if you will, asking him the question. And uh, he does that in chapter six. He does it a few places. But in chapter six, he says, you know, after he's been talking about God's God's forgiveness and so forth, he says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? In other words, he's anticipating the question. Well, if, if God's grace 
just can never be, you know, it's limitless. It, it overshadows our sin. Then what, isn't it true that if we sin greatly, then we're showing God's grace greatly to the world? You know, the, the thinking is, man, if, if the world really knew how messed up we are and just saw all these sins and all of this gory details, it just, it makes that God's grace that much bigger. That's the question. It's a perverse question. And that's what he points out. Absolutely not. That's emphatic in the Greek. Some translations say, may it never be or perish the thought, forbid the thought. Um, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So in other words, what, what Paul is doing here is he's saying that idea that it's okay if we sin more because it just, if nothing else, it makes God's grace more beautiful. That's broken because God's grace drives us away from sin, not towards sin. So we should never abuse God's grace. If we have that heart posture, then I don't know if we really understand the gospel or if at least we are living in a way that that we are just in rebellion of God in that time because the gospel draws us to obedience, not from it. Yeah. And, and I think as we, this is just a, a, a really broad caveat when we talk about the cautions that uh, we have very quickly, particularly those of you who are listening, who are well-versed in doctrine, theology and debates that are, that have existed within the church for decades and centuries um what you're gonna what you're gonna recognize really quickly is, is there's basically two in these two ditches that you can fall in the the technical terms for both of those are legalism and licentiousness or license and so um and it's so easy to slip on either side of them both of them are a dis are ultimately a disregard for god's law interestingly enough uh, because both of them one oversteps the bounds of of the law that's legalism because there is there's a lot of room in what god has said and what god and what god does um but um so to overstep it and say, well, we need to put, we need to make those those fences even tighter and those restrictions even even more clear to be black and white where God has been gray, that is um, that is a disregard of God's grace. Um, at the same time, as as you've been unpacking to abuse God's grace is what we normally think of um, whenever we think of. of license so sinning to quote unquote sin boldly (laughs) um as people will misunderstand luther um even in his his making that statement because he wasn't advocating license in that he was actually he was he was pointing toward the grace of god and you know Paul, his life gives us a good example of this as well you know later he would write that he is the chief among sinners and I don't think he was necessarily intending to be hyperbolic there. I, I believe he he believed it. Um, I mean, here was a guy who persecuted believers, who who scorned Jesus before his conversion. I really believe he looked at himself and said, "Man, I, I don't know if it can get worse than this." And yet, look what he did. He he as he wrote so much of God's grace because he understood it so deeply and profoundly in his own life. That's why he references it so much in his epistles. But look at his life. He he didn't use that as an excuse to sin and do whatever he wanted. He didn't use that as as a reason for licentiousness. He he wrote elsewhere that he he beat his body 
that he's being hyperbolic, um, metaphoric, that he wanted to discipline himself to live in obedience, not because he had to, to earn God's favor, because God's favor had been given to him in superabundance in Christ. So even tracing Paul's life and his writing ministry to us, I think we see this beautifully balanced in, in Paul. So what, what other cautions can you think of, Aaron? Well, I would say, and, and this again, this, this kind of falls into that, that legalism camp, is that there's an error that can come into our thinking that, that really comes around the idea of earning God's grace or paying him back for it. I remember at uh, the very first church that I was a member of, it was a baptism Sunday, and just as an aside, I love, those are my favorite Sundays ever anytime we get to celebrate people um, confessing their faith in Jesus identifying with him that is a, such a wonderful thing because it's seeing the grace of God at work and 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 I just love that but this this young woman was sharing her sharing her story um, she'd grown up in the church she had said that she believed in Christ you know as a as a child and you know she had kind of gone off and done her own thing in high school and college and you know she said i just really want to pay god back for for what he's done for me and it was heartbreaking to hear that and the reason it was heartbreaking is because she was missing out on what god had actually done for her and this is this is a really common error that creeps into so many people's thinking and even people who, who on an intellectual level, that we do understand the idea that grace is, is undeserved kindness, that it's unmerited favor, um, because this concept of it being undeserved from a, from a practical standpoint, it's too big for us to fully grasp and so because of that, we start to put it, we start to put grace into the blocks and categories that we have for ourselves. And it is, and it's really rough and it really messes, messes with us. Yeah. Or, or, or we, we, we force our societal norms on it. You know, that thinking, a lot of it is probably, what do we do in, in day-to-day living? Somebody gives us a gift. What do you feel compelled to do? You know, give them a gift in kind. Um, somebody says something kind to you. What do you do? You feel and in, in, you know you say something to them in kind as well. So I think sometimes we just we force that on on God's economy, and God's economy is not like ours. Yeah, exactly. And we we really have to re- remember, grace by definition is not something that can be deserved. And so anytime we start getting into these mindsets where where we start thinking, okay, well, you know what? God's been God's been so good to me. I need to do something for him. I need to do something for to, you know, to pay him back. As soon as as soon as we catch ourselves thinking those words, pay him back or or need those kind of things. Depending on the depending on on the context of need, of course. So, let's let's nuance that. But um but just in general, we need to stop and we need to pause and we need to say, okay, what do I mean? What am I thinking here? Yeah. It's really, this is the heart posture that we need to take really close inventory often all the time. You know, it, it should be want. 
I desire, out of love and gratitude, I desire to obey. As you're saying, we need to be careful. The scripture is clear. There are commandments there, not suggestions. So in a sense, you could, you would be right to say we need to obey. But the heart posture, I would argue why we do what we do is just as important as what we do. And and if we are coming from a posture of I have to ergo because if I don't, God's going to be angry with me, then we're not understanding grace. <laughs> we're not understanding mercy. We're not understanding um, righteousness and so forth. So it's, it's really it should be the want, the desire. I, I use the illustration quite a bit. Do I need to celebrate my anniversary to my wife? You bet. But if that's my posture as I approach it, oh, it's my anniversary. I need to go get my wife something. Man, I'm missing it, aren't I? I want to. I delight in celebrating that anniversary, not because I have to, but because I get to. So I think there's a, a picture there for us as, as we live um, under God's grace. I, one other thing I would say about this is a, a, a subtle caution is grace and mercy are different but related. Sometimes we use them interchangeably and they are really tightly related, but technically they're, they're different. Grace is God's goodness given to us. Mercy is God's judgment withheld from us. So grace is good. Mercy is withholding bad. Uh, you can understand how they both relate together in the gospel and um, they can, sometimes we use them interchangeably in conversation and I would not be, you know, I'd not be a punk and, and throw a card or throw a flag on the play if you misuse one, but technically they're, they're different. All right. So what difference should this doctrine make in our lives, Aaron? What, what's one way you can think of? I mean, at the, at the risk of being obvious, I mean, in terms of, of a difference that this should make is this doctrine really in, in a profound way is the gospel itself. And so the, the gospel is the most supreme display of God's grace to us. Um, him giving us the forgiveness of sin, giving us new life and welcoming us into his family all through faith in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what's at the heart of these hallmark passages that we turn to whenever we, whenever we think about, about grace and God's goodness and, and what he's done. Like John 3, 16, God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 21, that he, uh, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that um, in him we would become the righteousness of God. These are massive things that are only possible because of grace. And it's it's just mind-blowing. And we need to we need to get that. You can't um, underestimate the 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 importance of grace and you can't overstate the importance of grace when you put it in the right perspective. Definitely. I would add that grace should be, and we, we've talked about this some already, but it should be a, a great source of comfort for us. Um, and it is. It's intended to be. When we think of God's grace and his mercy, um, you think about the related thoughts there of his love, his forgiveness, the righteousness that has been imputed to us because of Christ. You think of, of who we are positionally in Christ and to know that we're loved and accepted by God in Christ no matter what is a source of great comfort. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to maintain anything. Uh, we just, you know, we, we, we just 
it's who we are, our identity in Christ. That is so important. I, I really believe that is part of a big part of the equation of what God wants from us in terms of living in joy, living in, in confidence and with hope, uh, living boldly for him because we know this. We don't have to worry about the rug being pulled out from under us. Um, and, and this is so critical. This, this is one of the things, I think I may have mentioned this before on, on a prior episode, uh, but hopefully it's worth mentioning again. One of the few things I've done right as a, as a dad is developed a regular cadence with my three kids where I tell them on a regular basis, um, I love them and ask them, why do I love you? And the, the correct answer I want from them is because you're my father, I'm your son or daughter. And I'll ask, is there anything you can ever do to make me stop loving you? And the proper answer I want from them is no. And I'll follow up, is there anything you can do to make me love you more? And the answer is no. And I ask, well, why? And they say, because you love me for who I am. You love me because you're our dad. I'm trying to get into their hearts, not only great confidence in their father, but the greater confidence in their heavenly father, um, that this is all truer of him than me. That is something that I think is so important for them. It's so important for us to live under understanding God's grace and just that comfort. All right. So why don't we just wrap up then? Uh, it's been a good conversation. I hope it has been enjoyable. I hope it's been meaningful and, and maybe even challenging some for our listeners. So uh, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 